Amen. Amen. Mm. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you we can gather together on this day and worship you. We thank you that we just celebrate communion, just thank you you died for us. And Lord, we're given through our tr- trust in you. So we just thank you for this morning and pray that you would just uh, use this word to speak to us and give us insight into what you're doing into the world to give us hope and understanding. Lord, I pray you'd just anoint me. I'd speak words of the Spirit and that you'd open each heart that we would receive from the Spirit. So we give this time to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn this morning. And two, if you have your Bible or anything, uh, please uh, turn to these verses. I'll have the things on the overhead. But we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 3. And it says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. Now, <laughs> Before we jump into this subject of the man of lawlessness, you go, well, how do we get here, you know, and um, and really, you know, how did Paul get here? I'm, you know, I'll claim that how I got here is I just took the next verse. <laughs> That's how I got here. But um, but what we see here, and I think it's to understand this, to have a better understanding of this man of lawlessness, I think it's helpful that we put these two letters in context and what was happening at the time uh, why the Apostle Paul wrote this. And so we know that, um, we, we know and we know it from the book of Acts and stuff, that Paul spent a very, very short time in Thessalonica. It's real short. And is one of the, and, and this, and the, the, the first and second Thessalonians, one of the first books Paul ever written. So they're old. They're old. And what happened when, uh, we see in the book of Acts where Paul went to spread the gospel there. He was there a very, very short time. In fact, the indication is when you read, he's there three weeks. That's what it, said. it basically says. He's there three weeks. And then the Jews ran him out of town. So here you have these pagan people without any background, without any concept of Christianity, what, brand new. And so he gives them a three-week-long Bible study. Now, they got it. You know, they're ready to go change the world. Three weeks. Now, just look at your own Christian life and how you studied the Bible. And what would you know after three weeks? Just think, what would you know after three weeks? There are probably something around that, like, Jesus died for me. I'm forgiven. Period. <laughs> you know, like, uh, after three weeks, do you think you would be, well, let me explain to you the end times and the return of Jesus in the rapture. It's three weeks. Because most of you have been in believers for years and I would bet you're not sure yet what's going on all right so the picture is here these people don't know they've been with a very short period of time and so what he did he wrote first Thessalonians you know and he gives them an overview but in first Thessalonians he's he's so again he's writing to these people and so he's adding on to what they know to have because they have questions have questions and so he explains some things in first Thessalonians and a couple of things he does explain and he mentions there and he said there's going to be a gathering up of the saints there's going to be a rapture the people that are still alive are going to be caught up 
And he explains that again in 1 Thessalonians. And then he says once these people are caught up, that after that there's come and come a day of the Lord where there's going to be judgment on the earth. Now just think, you're back. You don't know anything. You got three weeks. Jesus loves you. And he's, oh, by the way, as he's leaving, he said, I just want you to know there's a coming back. There's a rapture. And the Lord's going to come and judge the whole world. And he's gone. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, it really is. That's what happened. And it's, they're going. So they're excited about Jesus paying the penalty for their sins. But they're talking about, did you hear what he said <laughs> about destroying the whole world? When you th- when's this going to happen? Can you imagine the discussion? So I want to just put in context because that's what happened. So you have First Thessalonians. And in this piece, you have the, they under, well, they, there's a catching up for a rapture. And then there comes the day of the Lord. Now. After they received the first letter, you know, people come back and say, I think you better write them another letter. <laughs> they don't, they're not getting all this, so write another letter. So he writes another, a second Thessalonians. And so he is elaborating on what he said the first time. And so they're trying to get their arms around all of that. And so here's what we have is that he tells them, okay, by the way, I want you to know, and he gives us, what I just read to you talks about the man of lawlessness. Now, so in this picture, what Paul does is he needs, he needs to elaborate and explain to them more so they understand what's going on. Because they're a little unnerved by it. Now, now in the second letter, so you got the context. So now in the second letter, he starts off again. And what he does, he tells us that, yes, this destruction. Now, these people don't know. He said, yes, this destruction is going to come, and Jesus is going to bring it. He's like, wait a minute. You know, he's messing with their theology. You know, sweet Jesus, he walk around holding lambs and like that little kid's coming up, sitting in his lap. You know, he's the one that's going to come back and bring destruction. And so I don't have an overhead for this, but you can um, follow along in there. Again, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 7 through 9. So he says, I'm giving you the big picture because you're confused about when Jesus returned. So I want to try to clear this up for you. He says, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. They're going, sweet Jesus. (laughs) I mean, the, the whole vision of Jesus, forgiving and loving, is all still there. But there is an end in which Jesus brings the judgment on those who reject God in him. So he's, he's finishing out their theology, if you will. Now, this is new, new information for the Thessalonians. And so they still have questions. I mean, they, they still have questions. And you can see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 2, we see him continue. I don't have an overhead here, but you can follow along. So he's continuing this discussion. So 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians tied together. He's continuing this discussion to help give these help people understand what's going on. 
So it says here, Now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered together. I want to pause here for this. This is really important. The word he used here, gathered together. It's very important that he use that word because that word is very indicative of the rapture. Very indicative of the rapture, not judgment. And so in in your Bible or whatever, just underline that because we'll come back to it. So he says, the Lord Jesus is going to come. And Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not, important, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by the spirit of the spoken word or by a letter seemingly to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. And see there, you, you see where they are? Well, the rapture came, we missed it. One morning I got up, I was hollering for Linda, went in the bed, she's not in the house. I thought, it happened. <laughs> the rapture came, took her, and left me. I just knew it. You know what I said? So this is what these people were saying. I mean, that's what they said. Oh, they're kind of, we, we've missed this, which means we're going into the day of the Lord, and there's judgment. And, but so he said, no, listen, don't, don't be quickly shaken. As if a word from us. We didn't say this. We didn't say this. That the day of the Lord has come. Okay. These believers at the time were being misled by false teachers that the rapture had already occurred and that the day of the Lord is already here coming. So they're thinking, oh, we're in this. We've missed it. You know. Now, now these are believers. They're just young. They just don't know. They just don't know. They're asking questions. So Paul tells them, Listen. Don't be afraid. No, this is true. Don't, don't be afraid. Therefore, now Paul is going to explain to them the things that will occur during the day of the Lord or just before the day of the Lord. He said, no, I'm going to explain. no, don't worry. I want to explain to you what's happening. Okay, y'all with me? This is, pretty, this is how we got here. They're, up, they're concerned about how they fit in with Jesus is coming back, and they think, they're already in the midst of the day of the Lord. And so he explains to them the things that have to occur, you know, during or just before, while at the same time assuring them that all things happen, all these things happen, and this is for us, all these things happen after the rapture. Happen after the rapture. Now for us who believe a rapture, what we see in 1 Thessalonians, he takes the saints up. He says, yes, there's the day of the Lord coming, and yes, all these things are happening, but they're going to happen after the rapture. You didn't miss anything. Okay, So that's why we're here. That's, that's why we're here. And so he's explained this to these people. So this is, and I go, <laughs> and I you know, have the overhead here of 2 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verses 3 through 12, but we'll just put the first sentence up there, and, and then I'm just going to go through each one of these and, and just explain. He said, this is what's going to happen, and this is what this day of the Lord is going to look like. You don't have to be worried, but you need to know what's going to happen. All right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, and all the way through verse 12, but right now, just 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 2, verse 3. And he says this, Let no one deceive you in any way. How many people in this world, just in your lifetime, have you heard believers, non-believers, confused about the coming of the Lord? I mean, you got cults doing all sorts of stuff. and I mean, bizarre, because there's confusion, yet they, their confusion is wrapped around and somewhat truth that God's going to judge the world. Jesus is coming back, but, you know, they're all over the map. And, and so what he's here says, I don't want anyone, you, the reason he's writing this, I don't want anyone to deceive you. So we need to pay attention so no one deceives us, to de- deceives us. So that's why it's here. Now, for let no one deceive you in any way. For that day... What day? Now we've in the Bible you'll see New Testament, Old Testament, and it'll do and it'll call out a specific day. That day. The day. Every time it does that, almost every time, it's talking about God's judgment. Old Testament, the day is coming. It's good. New Testament. That day is coming. Jesus God even said, says, Don't ever pray for that day, because it's not going to be good. You know, says don't look for it. Okay. So for that day will come, for that day will not come keyword unless unless okay y'all with me that day is not going to come that day unless that word is there and that word is very important unless and what we're going to go through is the all the unlesses <laughs> all right all the things this is what the lord's going to say it's not going to happen unless these things happen. You ready? All right. I got eight points, okay, of the unlesses. It's not going to happen unless these things happen. Number one, and I have these overhead should be number one. Yeah, the, the first one there. Number one, unless the rebellion comes first. That's key. The rebellion has to come first. Now, just right here, the word here, rebellion, uh, our word apostasy comes from this word. Now, he translates correctly, rebellion, but when we write the English word apostasy, it comes from the Greek word, uh, when we, uh, it comes from the Greek word meaning apostasy. So, when the apostasy comes, think about that. It's not going to happen until the apostasy comes. Which means that it's a rebellion, apostasy is a rebellion against God. It's a worldwide, it, it, it's a worldwide movement of rejecting any influence of God. It's an apostasy, anti-God. So we know that rebellion happens. Now could we ever imagine that happening today? The last 50 years. What, these people are nuts. I mean, it's what? Excuse me. There should be a more biblical way to say that. <laughs> than say these people are But there, you see an element of apostasy and almost a, a vehement attack on even having the concept of God, which is really strange. You know, it seems really strange. And God goes, no, that's just, I'm just letting you know. The worldwide apostasy is coming, and the day of the Lord will not come will not come until that apostasy comes first. Okay? Unless 
the rebellion comes. Number two, right here in verse three, and unless the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And what that means, there's a world leader. There will be a world leader. The Bible's real clear about that. You go to Daniel, you go to Revelation, and then there is a world leader that's going to head this apostasy. So you're going to have a person. You know, people say, well, it means this. It kind of means a group. It means, no, it doesn't. It means a man. It means a person is going to come up, and they're going to step up. You know, and, and this is my elaboration on it. I just see this guy, he is going to be Mr. Everything. Mr. Everything. He's going to be the smartest guy, most charismatic guy. You know, he's going to be have the best diploma. And he's going to, I think he's going to look good, sound good, and he is going to be the tool that's going to be used. And this man's going to be revealed. And he is called the man of lawlessness. So that's his heart. You understand this guy's heart. And it goes on to say the son of destruction. So this guy is all about him and all about, you know, the authority that he's going to reap. So, but there's a person, the rebellion, the apostasy, and there's a man. There is a man that will come. So the next one, number three, number three. In verse four, it says this, this man opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the, and I put there, rebuilt temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, you got a vision of this fellow, okay? Mystery everything, you know, and everybody's saying he's mystery everything, and mystery everything steps up and he says, I'm God. Now, he's, it's the rebellion because it's apostasy, anti-God, anti-God moving. So but somebody's got to fill the void, he will. He'll fill the void. He will fill the void. He will proclaim himself to be God. It's like, how in the world? Somebody get that way and pull that off. I mean, I've met a few people maybe thought they were, you know, but it's like, but to say it and pull it off. Well, you have the place here he says it, and he pulls it off because of a lot of other things going on at the time. Now, now I'm, I'm going to put here, this is a note, because, and he says he's going to take his seat in the temple. Now, in 30 A.D., when this is written, 60 A.D., it was written, and the temple of God that was still built was in Jerusalem. It's still there. They, hadn't told, they, didn't, they didn't burn that down until... 70 A.D., and most all the New Testament letters were written before 70 A.D., so their temple is still standing. And so the concept, this is me talking, that when they said he's going to take a seat in the temple of God and proclaim himself to God, that he's going to go in the Jewish temple and sit there and go in that Jewish temple and say, I am God. There's a little footnote to actually Caliglia, Caliglia, the Roman emperor that was hugely debased, just a really debased guy, worse than most of them. And he was going to, this is 60 AD, something like that, and he was going to, really mad at the Jews, so he was going to 
Jerusalem, and he was going to go in the temple, the Roman emperor, go in the temple. This is true. And he was going to proclaim himself God in the temple. So he, I mean, his thought was, I'll fix their wagon. <laughs> you know, they think I, I'll fix their wagon. And he went, uh, go in the temple. And it said, and his advisors and the people around him, it's like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> don't, don't, let's not do that. And so he didn't do it. You know, he didn't do it. And actually, there was an individual in the Old Testament, uh, in the, and he actually did conquer Jerusalem for a period of time, and he actually did go into the temple, you know, standing temple, and sacrificed a pig on their altar, which only, you know, God's, uh, you know, sacrifices that he approved by the priest. And he went in, and again, it's, it's kind of in your face. So he took it out, and he sacrificed a pig on that altar, you know. And so, uh, and, and he took his place in the temple. So it's not without, but I mean, this is like, you know, 800 years before this, you know, th th this was written. So it's not unheard of that that would happen and that Satan would use it to make that pro proclamation. So anyway, it comes back to now. So... If people come along that line that has to be in the temple, was well, you well know, in 70 AD, the temple was le le leveled, they'd have to rebuild the temple. So a lot of people looking at it in time say, okay, sometime the Jews are going to rebuild the temple for the main reason, because this Antichrist has to come into that temple to proclaim himself God. That's where they get that. When they say the temple has to be built, some people in time, they say the Old Testament temple has to be rebuilt. That's why they say it right here. This is why, I mean, there's a reason for them. They say it that I'm not 100% sure it has to be rebuilt. It wouldn't surprise me. But it definitely is showing that in a place of authority, where, uh, which would make a difference, where the person who claims himself God, he would go to a place that would exalt himself as God and take his place there, you know. Definitely could rebuild the temple, but there's all sorts of issues there. But the point of it is, <laughs> that's going to happen in the future. Okay, that's going to happen in, in the future. Now, and I just had this a little bit. You kind of walk around, you look at the world, and you think, man, things are going to hell in the handbasket. I just can't believe they're that bad. God goes, yeah, it, yeah, and I just want to let you know, it's going to get worse. So you couldn't get worse. Yeah, it can get worse. It's, it's, it can get worse. You know, it will get worse. And so, but he's, again, he's telling, he's not trying to scare us to death. He's trying to get these people of Thessalonica some peace of mind because of all this information they've got. Okay, so here we are. He exalts himself, you know, Mr. Everything, and he says, I'm God. You know, I'm God. And, um, and by the way, this wasn't too unusual for the Romans because the Roman emperors, including Caligna, would proclaim themselves to be God. And you would have to worship those Roman emperors. In fact, some of the Christians, later on when Christianity spread, were killed because they wouldn't worship the emperors as God. They said, he is God. They said, no, he's not. You know, he's leader, he's not God. So, you know, it says, if you don't worship the God, we're going to feed you to the lions. Says, we're not worshiping. So it... And so at this time, it's understandable their context when they're looking to this guy. Show this guy's going to show up. He's for real. Now, <laughs> I want you 
Now here, I want you to pay special attention to this. And um, it's interesting, and you know, as you process it, I want you to be able to read through this, and you can see how this thing is unfolding. But look at number uh, five. I just misnumbered. I just see this. I edited that. That should be number four, but we'll take it as number five. Anyway, let's look here at number five in verse six. So communicating with what's going to happen, the day of the Lord, the rapture, you didn't miss it, this judgment's coming, you know, there's going to be rebellion, you're going to have this guy, and what is hindering him from coming now? What's going to be different when he comes? And look here at verse 6. Verse 6. And it says this, And you know what is restraining him now. Now, I'm going to ask you something. Just play with you a little bit. You know what's restraining him now. I'm going to ask you something. Do you know? Do you know? Oh, okay, got Holy Spirit there. Do you know? The Holy Spirit's restraining. The reason this is not happening is because restra- Holy Spirit is restraining him. Now, I'm going to ask you something else. We're the Holy Spirit reside in the believers in believers so he's restraining by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit resides in b- believers now so what it says and you know what is restraining him now the one restraining this evil has supernatural power to hold back a supernatural enemy okay Supernatural power has to have supernatural power to hold back the supernatural enemy. The Holy Spirit is the power of God on earth to restrain evil. The presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer, the church, is restraining the man of lawlessness from being revealed. He's not being revealed now. Why? Because it's the church. It's the church. It's, well, I don't, you know, just me, I don't know how I'm restraining the evil. But God is God of the world and all people and the Holy Spirit and all people. Because of the church, Satan cannot achieve what he intends to do. The church is a hindrance. One reason, he hates the church. Hates the church Anything associated with the church. I mean, I've said this before. You go, don't, you don't, you can't go to school. You can't mention Jesus. Don't, don't, you can say anything. Don't mention Jesus. Why? Because you restrain Satan. Now, these are my words. You restrain Satan. You're at workplace. Don't say anything about Jesus. Don't mention it. You don't want to, why? Because when you meet, you restrain Satan. So, we need to keep you quiet. So that Satan can do his work. You know, it's laying the foundation for the apostasy. The apostasy. And the bolder they get, then after a while, if we can take proactive against the church and nobody will do anything about it. So it's all working up to get to a point. But again, Satan can't have it can't do what he needs to do because the church is here and it's not so much oh we have to do this no we're just by being here it's funny it's just like you know by just being here we're irritating everybody 
you know, it's, it's, I just want to go to church Sunday and be nice and raise my family. No, you can't do that. You know, your presence, your presence, you know, is an irritation. We had, I'll just share this because it happened. We had a guy come in here and one time and he's from a near eastern country and he's a pastor, got run out of the country. So he came with us and, and I was talking to him like that. And he said, do you mind if I pray here in your church? I said, no, that's fine. You know what that. So he came, he told me, he said, I just want to let you know, you are a tremendous irritation to Satan. It's like, all right, that's good. <laughs> that's good. But, but that fits in with Scripture. You're an irritation. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're an irritation to Satan. You're hindering his work. Your presence is hindering his work. Okay, but this is where this is going. This is where this verse is going. So now, so when you, so when you read this, and to understand the presence of the Holy Spirit in dwelling the believer, the church, is restraining the man of lawlessness from being revealed. Can't bring him in, all right? Now, although restrain Satan and lawlessness are active today. It says the same thing in 1 John. It says the very same thing. In fact, he even says, you know, he says the evil one is in control of the world. I mean, so the lawless one is, is active today. And we know that. And in verse 7, overhead here, in verse 7a, it says this. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So you think, well, Satan's just, okay, we're ready for the man of lawlessness. I'll just sit back. When the time comes, I'll pop up, and here we come. No, he doesn't know. He's working all the time. He's working all the time. I have, it's actually not my theory, but I was, listen, the, the, the guy, I was reading this fellow one time, and he says, Satan, Satan is not creative. He's not creative. He works the same way all the time. You know, I mean, He's smart, and there's a lot of things. He's like things going on and stuff. And he says what he does, and he knows, and what he, he has a method, a way he moves in, you know, deceives, and gets his foothold and destroys something. What well, his comment says, he just does it over and over and over and over again. He says, oh, I'll try this. That didn't work. Okay, I'll try this. You know, he tries to, he just keeps working the same thing. And he said in world history, what he does, he'll come on a country or anything, and he goes in to destroy the country in the same particular way and gets the same falling away, and then comes through and it brings that out on the end to total destruction. And the po his point is to go in and get everything orchestrated where he can move through the world to get his man there. He's doing it over and over again. But we're still here with restraint, so it never works out. You know, he, he, he never works out. I mean, and I'm just, this is me talking. I don't want you to confuse this with the scripture. I mean, it's like Hitler. You, I'm sure people have told you, like, how in the world could somebody get from developed countries, educated country, and for somebody like that to get total control, to transform it, to do the unbelievable Holocaust, to do and transform it and come to a point of the whole country to a world war, you know, as Hitler did. Hitler was Satan's man. He just, he does what he always did, and he brought Satan, he is Satan's man, but it wasn't his time. And therefore, you have the end of World War II, and Hitler dead. So what does Satan do? 
I'm going to repeat it. We'll repeat it. I'll get another guy up, and we'll see if this one works. See, he doesn't know who it is. Satan doesn't know who it is. He knows there is one, but he doesn't know who it is. And you look at our country. How in the world can it collapse and do this? How can this happen? Well, just like it's always happened to every other country before us. And evil is behind it to absolutely destroy the moral base, destroy the internal structure, to destroy law and order, to get a person to bring order that he can empower that would take over. So what's happening with us around? It's, it's just Satan keeps repeating until he gets his man. And the repeating comes with more and more intensity. As he gets greater and greater foot, it intenses. It gets worse. And you say, you're going, oh my God, I didn't want to hear this. What is God going to do? How does God do this? He gives us the church. Well, what do we do? Love me. It just drives Satan nuts. <laughs> See? Drives, you know, it's like the last message is last two weeks. Rejoice always. See, we don't have to. I have to be elected president and I will solve it. Never work for anybody else. I don't know why it worked for me, you know, because it won't work because that's not how God works. It's not going to work. You're not going to do it that way. Never done it that way. Not going to do it. I heard Tony Campalo, and he's an old preacher, and this guy met with him, and he said, he says, you know, it's like what we got to do, we have to get believers into the Congress, we got believe believers and the senators, we got believers and representatives, we got to get believers read, you know, elected in lower offices in the government, and we got to have an influence by all our elective, you know, representatives. And Tony Campalo said, wow, that's that, that really good. It's funny, Jesus never thought of that. He didn't do it. Never, n never made any inclination to do it. Never acted like he even, bless it, I know he does. Any, any place you have a believer. But that was not his mode of operation. See, he has a different word. He is the only one that can withstand this, and he permeates, and how does he permeate? He permeates through poor, those who have any, base people. That's how he pours through. Basically. And he, Paul goes to, uh, he's talking to the Corinthians. He says, you know, as you well know, there's not many wise among you. Because God chose the lowly things to confound the wise. See, that's his way. That's it. Now, I'm all for somebody getting elected, and I'm glad to see by loving the Lord and standing up for us, you know, and God uses people like that. But that's not his general overall thrust of how he goes out through the world. Never has been. Never has been. Now, Okay, so here we are. We've got the Holy Spirit. So you know what's restraining him. It's like, oh, Holy Spirit. Well, and the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. First John says the same thing. says that the, uh, Satan has control of the world. The devil has control of the world. You know, but the church, the church is what's permeating and preventing Satan's work. The Holy Spirit is restraining Satan's work. Now, look here. At the second part of verse 7. I have an overhead here. 
Now, it just has the pronoun he, all right? And I took the liberty of putting parentheses after that, the Holy Spirit, because I, in context, I think that's what it's saying. It says, only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains it, will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Now, with me? now in the Bible, it says he, he. And you go, well, okay. Well, the he is the Holy Spirit. See, only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so. Big word. Until. Until. He, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. How's, okay, how are you going to take the Holy Spirit out of the way? See, the Holy Spirit will be taken up with the believers at the rapture. Who does the Holy Spirit go with? He goes with the believers. So you have the rapture, take up the believers, and the Holy Spirit goes up with him. Once the body of Christ has been caught away to heaven, the Holy Spirit's function of restraining evil through the body of Christ will cease. At that point, the reins will be removed from the lawlessness and the satanically inspired and the satanically inspired rebellion will begin or take off. It's beginning. It'll take off. It'll take off. The church is gone. And it will be unfeathered. Wide out. Because the church is gone. The church is gone. The rapture of the church at the ra- after the rapture of the church, the rebellion will begin. Taking off. I mean, it's still working, but it, you know what I mean by begin. It will break out. The rebellion will break out. Okay? So, we think, the rapture of the church, boom, everything's moving forward. Now, now look at number 6, verse 8. Okay, you all with me up and down. Number six, verse eight, in the first two words. And by the way, they are in the Greek, they are in the text. And, and then it says, and then. Okay, what does that mean? And then. After all this stuff has happened, and then. After the rapture of the church, and then. That's why the and then's there. After the rapture of the church, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Okay, this guy. You remove, you know, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, and then this guy's going to be revealed. I am your Savior. (laughs) I am the one that will fix the problem. I am the one that has capacity. It is me. And this holy one, and this lawless one will be revealed. Now, we're going to have an election, and we're going to vote him out. Okay? We're going to have a protest, and we're going to make him change his mind. We're going to do all sorts of things, and we're going to manipulate the government to remove this guy. I mean, that's how we look at things. Now, I think we should vote. Don't get me wrong here. But see, we see that's not going to happen. See, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Jesus kills the Antichrist. We don't. We don't hinder his work. Where's nobody's, nobody's here is going to hinder his work or anything. The Lord Jesus kills 
the Antichrist. That's how we get rid of him. That's how they get rid of him, all right? By the breath of his mouth at his appearing. Now, here's the thing I want you to know. In this verse 8, it says, uh, by the breath of his bringing to nothing, by the appearance of his coming, of Jesus, by the appearance of Jesus' is coming, okay? Appearance, okay? I want you to underline apparent. Remember when we look in verse 1 and said the gathering? The gathering is different than the appearance, <laughs> Okay, Jesus comes at the rapture, and it's the gathering. He gathers the saints. It's, it's the gathering. When he comes for the destruction, it's his appearance. All hell breaks loose here. It's his appearance. So I won't be at his gathering, not at his appearance. Right? So, so those two words are really big, and they're very, very different. And those are two words. So... The gathering of the rapture will begin the tribulation or leading up to it. And the appearance concludes the tribulation. Big difference. Big difference. All right. So we got this thing rolling out here. Now, in verse 9, it you know, gives us more insight here. The coming, verse 9 says this, the coming of the lawless one is the activity of Satan. With all powers and signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. This guy comes in and, and I believe that this lawless one is Satan incarnate. Just like Jesus came and he was God incarnate. You know, that's how you get the virgin birth and all that. And he was a man, but he had Christ dwelling. It was the God dwelling in him, Christ, the spirit of God in him. In a physical body. But he was God in a physical body. Amen? That's what Jesus, that's incarnate. This lawless man will be Satan in a physical body. Satan will so possess him and control him, and all his brilliance and miracles and power will come through Satan himself. He'll be in a physical body, but he will have Satan living within him with all his power, and that's where all his brilliance comes from. Satan incarnate is what he's going to be. This is the lawless one. Now, again, he can't come when the church is here. But once it's gone, then he can make his move to indwell this person and to exalt him to be who Satan wants him to be. Now, the lawless one, the Satan incarnate, the, hu the superhuman person, the superhuman person who will utilize a superhuman person who will utilize supernatural means, miracles, signs, and wonders. These remarkable phenomena, which were used for the laying of the foundation of the church, will be redirected for the purposes of deceit. Now, I've read people, when, and I understand, by the way, I'm, I'm going to admit to you right before here. There's a many opinions about the coming return of the Lord, and this is there are people. I mean, so the thing you want to do is read it, say, what does it say? What is God speaking to you? But you want to stick to the words, or you're just going to be all over the place. So trying to stick to the words, you know, what it actually says. And when I add something, what I think, just recognize that's what I think. 
and uh, may or not be true. But I've heard people say, well, Satan does fake miracles and he does fake stuff because only God can do this stuff. But the word didn't say that. And in a lot of translations, it says he does counterfeit miracles. But it doesn't mean they're not miracles. You know, he, he, what he means is they're supernatural miracles, but they're for no good. Okay, it, it's they're false in their application. It doesn't mean he can't do it because he, he has, I mean, he's a spiritual being. He's not like God, but he can do spiritual things. You know, there, there's, things, there's a supernatural evil spiritual power he does. And what this guy is going to do, he's going to exercise it because he's Satan incarnate. He's going to exercise it like Satan himself, himself is doing it. And he's going to do what he always wanted to do. He's going to run the world. He's going to run the world. And, and so here's this individual. And so you're going to have this um, in what it says here. It's with all power, signs, and wonders, and wicked deception. That means that people are going to go, golly, this guy is good. I mean, he is really good. Did you, can you believe what he did? And the thing of it, he's really going to do it. He's really going to do it. Now, who's left in the world after the church is taken up? All the unbelievers. All those who have rejected Christ. All those who don't believe in Christ. Are they vulnerable to Mr. Charismatic? Super wise. You know, being able to do all these incredible things. And to, and it, to deceive the whole world. Who in the world could do that? Well, Satan's been wanting to do that. Remember his, remember his Satan's temptation to Jesus? If you fall down and worship me, I'll give you this. He wasn't lying. And Jesus didn't say, you're lying. Because Jesus knew he wasn't. Jesus' answer is, no, you worship the Lord, your God, and him alone. See, that was his answer. He didn't say Satan was wrong. But it also shows Satan's heart. I'll give you all this if you worship me. If you worship me. And then the church is a big irritation because we all worship Jesus. Not only will Jesus worship Satan, then we all worship Jesus. And it's just a huge irritation to Satan. Now, so we have this. And so what you do, you saw this phenomenon of the church growing. You're going to have a similar uh, evil phenomena and see the power of the Antichrist, Satan incarnate, grow around the world and the rebellion, the apostasy, the apostasy. Now, so the lawless one cannot be humanly defeated because it clearly says the Lord Jesus will kill him by his breath. You know, one of the miracles in Satan, now you pick up, by the way, if this is what I want to do, stick right here with First and Second Thessalonians, because this is what Paul is using to explain to these people. Okay, I'm just giving you a bit. But if you want the depth of it, you go back to Daniel 9 and through there, and then you go back to Revelations, and they have other things that are added to this, but this is the base you can stand on and then grow from it. And one of the things about Satan, about this Antichrist, and it's really clear, most people, and he, he gets like something happens, he's like shot or something, okay? And they proclaim he's dead. You know, they proclaim he's dead. And he's 
he comes back to life. Now, you say, well, he was faking it, and then, you know, and maybe, maybe. But what the Bible says, he was killed, and he comes back to life. I think he was killed and came back incarnate. You know, I mean. Now, so, so anyways, so you can laugh. Read Daniel 9, read Revelation stuff. But read for, this is giving the summary, basic summary of what's going on at that time. Now, so what we have here is that, gosh, okay, this is, this is the bad stuff going on. What about the people still here based on this section? And it says in verse 11, and it says, basically it says, the remaining deceived unbelievers on earth will attribute deity to the man of lawlessness and blindly follow him. He'll say, I'm God. And they'll say, you're right. You say you are, and we believe you. Verse 11 says, the deceived are those who refuse to love the truth. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false and here's something about the lord we say oh well god will just they go down this sin and god will just reveal himself and they'll turn from their sin you know and he can and you've seen this but we don't understand too there's a point of no return with god not us i mean we always go with grace and you know and share the gospel but there's a point of no return with god he's all right and they'll go so far down in darkness and that God gives them over to their darkness. That should scare you to death, but that's the truth. You see it, you'll see it. Go so far in the darkness that he gives you over to the darkness. Scriptural. These people have got caught up in the apostasy, and in the apostasy, they are drawn to that apostasy, neglecting the truth of God, and God will send, God himself will send them a strong delusion so that they will embrace the evil. He'll turn them over to their own desires. And it says it right here, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, embrace what is false. Now, their blindness will be self-imposed because of their refusal to love the truth. Because they deliberately reject God and his truth, God himself will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. God gives them the desire of their dark heart. All right. Are y'all going, holy cow. (laughs) You know, give me time to take a breath of air. Now, Paul wrote this to encourage the Thessalonians. That's why he he wrote it to encourage us. Now, why? Because this is going to happen. That's one thing about the end times, whatever somebody's view. It's going to happen. You know, like it's like. You know, and, and I'm already prepared myself for this. Like it happens and God says, well, what do you think? I said, I defer to you, whatever. I just gave it my best shot, you know. <laughs> you know, I just, you know, that's about, whatever you do, I know you're going to do. And I know there's different views on this. But at the same time, he says, preach the word, be diligent to the word. And what I tell you, and this is what I see. And so I'm being diligent to preach it. And Lord, 
It will, and what, what will come true, what will be 100% true, is that Jesus will return and destroy the world. It's 100% true. Now, so here we are now, and it's like, he's telling, he says, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to God said, this is what I am going to do, period. But he tells the Thessalonians this, now, you should rejoice. <laughs> you should re- you should rejoice. Remember, it's Thessalonians. We talk about rejoice. You should. It means here. You rejoice. You should rejoice. You should rejoice always. And you shouldn't be confused. You, sh- you shouldn't be worried. You should rejoice always, because you will not experience this deception. It's going to happen no matter what you believe. But you should rejoice because I've told you and you've accepted Christ and it will not happen to you because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So rejoice. See, so do you see why that's rejoice? Because it's like a train's coming down the track, you know, and, and you, 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 you're, you're sitting on the train track reading a book, you know. Well, that train's going to hit you. That's a fact. But somebody comes on and says, listen, train's coming. Get up. Oh, rejoice. You need to get off the track. Don't be mad at the guy that told you to get off the track because the train's coming. Because the train's coming. Praise the guy that told you the train's coming to get off the track. Oh, my God. We, I'm glad I'm off that track. See, this is what God's doing. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But I'm telling you, you don't have to be on that train track. Get off the track. I'm telling you. So rejoice that you're off the track. And in 1 Thessalonians, it closes like this. And it's so... Um, see, we won't, re- we won't experience that deception or that fear. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, that's connection. The whole thing says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you're doing. Encourage one another. I'm encouraged. We're not going to be there. I'm encouraged. The train's not going to hit us. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. It's not going to hit you. And it kind of motivates. Guys, maybe I ought to tell my neighbor, encourage him. You don't want the train to hit you, man. Oh, that's just your truth. It isn't going to be everybody's truth soon. I mean, I mean, everybody. They don't even going to be a vote. The Bible says every knee shall bow. You know, some is like, praise Jesus, and some is like, oh, shoot. <laughs> you know, gosh, he was right. Anyway, so anyway, encourage one another. So we should be lifted up, and we, as we see this mess happening around, okay, wow, it's unfold. But God's in control of this, and he has told us, and we know, and we we are the salt and the light. We are the difference in the world. We rejoice in this. We rejoice. We encourage one another. We're special in his eye. Satan is hindered because of us being here. Now, I don't know what that looks but it's really clear. That's what it says. And then also we should rejoice. We should rejoice because we have the message for hope. Guys sitting on the track reading a book, the train's coming. Like, you know. Tough luck, buddy. <laughs> just hate to see this mess, you know. But no, we have a mess. Hey, listen, you're trying to come on, get off it. We have a message. You get off the track. 
See, we have the message. And since we have the message, we really want, hey, listen, buddy, we, you need to get on now. No, there's nothing. I'm telling you, <laughs> put your ear to the track. Something's happening here. You know, we have a message. So we rejoice that we have a message. Now, it's up to other people to receive it as we see some people's hearts and are hardened, you know. But we have the message of hope. See, in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Those folks are going to perish. When Jesus comes back, they're going to perish. Not going to have a hand raised. Now who believes? Raise your hand. No. It's over. When he comes back, they will perish into eternal judgment. But Thessalonians, you rejoice. You don't have to. You will never experience that. You'll never experience that. And you have this message. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Huge word. Not. We will not perish. But we have eternal life. We have eternal life. And those people that remain, when we're taken up, the people who remain will ultimately perish. Will ultimately perish. So, so hallelujah, <laughs> we will not perish. We will not perish. And everybody who thinks they're getting away with evil, they're getting away with nothing. And they're not going to get away with a lot of it here on earth. I mean, a lot of there, some of them is, the, is going to come due here on earth. But eternally, it will all come due and no one escapes. And we need to rejoice. We rejoice. We will not perish. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. We are forgiven. We will not perish. We love God's truth. We want God's truth repeated. Repeated. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God's got all this, and He's got us. And just be, be excited, you know. I mean, I'm going to take that guy at word. He said that word. He said, You're a big irritation. Your church is a big irritation to Satan. So just rejoice that you're irritating Satan. You know, all right? And God's protecting us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. And Lord, we, you know, we would never. You know, I'll just speak for myself. It's like I wouldn't even dream up these verses and how you move. And Lord, and um, but I read it and I accept it and I believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And I believe that the strangest thing that happens, not that we perish. That's not strange. What's really strange is that we don't perish. That's what's strange. What's really strange is we are forgiven. What's really strange is that you love, the, love us and chose us and bring us t- to yourself for all eternity. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you. Your love for us and what you've done for us. So, Lord, we give all thanks to you and we rejoice in you. We rejoice in you that you care for us, you protect us, and you're doing a mighty work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.